We are in a series talking about relationships and what skills we need to be able to have healthy relationships, to have loving relationships. And you can think about this in whatever way is kind of most helpful for you, whether that's in your friendships or whether that's in your community group or your marriage or even with your kids, whatever it might be. This is a series where we're just talking about the things that help us to have healthy relationships, to have loving relationships. And today we are going to talk about conflict. And I want you to think about your most recent conflict. It might be easy for some of you. It might have been on the way over here. It might have been in the car, um, and you are wondering how I know that, but it's because it happens to many people on the way to church. For whatever reason, it's just like, I hate the person next to me. Um, And maybe you've never felt that, but there you go. There's uh, my life. Um, um, And I'm not saying I hate my wife, but you just just get in conflict. Um, What's the most recent conflict that you had? What's, everybody just go ahead and say it. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But what, what's the most recent conflict that you had? Maybe it was with your spouse. Maybe it was with uh, your kids. I'm not, it doesn't have to be something giant. You don't need to think about, well, there was this time that I was really going to. I mean, it can just be normal, everyday things. Arguments over uh, who was supposed to do the dishes or uh, things at work where someone was supposed to turn in something and they didn't turn it in. Or it can be uh, with your kids and uh, they were supposed to go to bed and they didn't go to bed. I mean, whatever it might be, just what's the most recent conflicts? Obviously, there's more intense conflicts, and there's, there's conflicts um, across the spectrum, but I want you to just think about the most recent conflict that you had, because we hate conflict, right? None of us like it. We hate it, but it happens a lot. It's not hard to think about conflict that happens. I almost could guarantee you that yesterday you had some sort of conflict. It might have been big. It might have been small. Probably today, maybe your chances are a little better because you're going to hear a sermon on it, but probably today you're going to have a conflict. Probably tomorrow you're going to have a conflict. Our life is just, it's kind of filled with conflict, and and we don't like it. We want to get better at doing conflict because most of us would say we're not that good at it. We want to get better, but we, it's just, it's just a hard hard thing. Most of us don't even actually know how to do conflict. I was thinking about this because if you think about it, there's probably not a lot of things in our life that fill our lives, that are kind of a constant thing that cause a lot of stress for us, that cause a lot of sleepless nights, that cause a lot of kind of pits in your stomach or anxiety or maybe even sadness and depression. I mean, there's not a lot of things in our life where we would say, I have a lot of this and I really don't like it. And yet, we don't really know how to handle it very well. I mean, probably most of us have not taken a class on conflict. Probably most of us, and maybe you have, I mean, sometimes your work provides that, or maybe you did that in school, but most of us, we, don't, we haven't studied conflict. There's probably a lot of things, maybe for those of you that have been in the church for a while, probably a lot of things about the Bible that you know, but that doesn't mean you've studied the Bible a lot on conflict. There's probably not a lot of books that you regularly read on conflict. Like sometimes in the summer, people are, hey, what's my summer reading list? And it's usually novels, or, but not like, well, I'm going to study conflict this summer. But wouldn't that be good? I mean, there's so, there, our conflict fills our life. And yet, we, if we're honest, we don't really put a lot of energy or thought or time into going, how do I actually do this better? It, it causes us a lot of stress and a lot of hurt, but we really don't know how to do it, and we don't even think about how to do it that much. But here's what that means then. And, and you know this. I mean, we often just avoid conflict, right? I mean, we, none of us like conflict, and yet so many of us, we just avoid it because we don't like it, and we really don't know how to deal with it. So our main posture towards conflict is, I'm just going to kind of avoid it. But here's what, that, here's what that means. Here's what ends up happening then. What ends up happening is the same things keep coming up in your relationships, If you don't know how to deal with conflict and thus you avoid it, what happens is, man, you might solve something right in the moment, but the same things keep coming up. So if you're married, a lot of times the same issues keep coming up. Um, Maybe even you lived in this place and you kind of had some relational tension with some people and you moved to a different place and you're like, man, those... I have those same issues. Again, like it it keeps popping up. I don't know why. Wherever I go, these issues follow me. and I, I don't get it. Everybody has these issues wherever I go, right? But it, it's, it's, it, what happens is we, the same issues keep coming up or our relationships end up just kind of being shallow because we're never really able to kind of disagree about something without solving it. We're never really able to get to the bottom of something. It's just kind of, you know, there's some conflict that happens and that's the moment it could go deeper, but it doesn't. And so it stays at a surface level and our relationships kind of always stay there. 
So this is kind of a lot of times what our pattern is with conflict, but it doesn't have to be that, which is why it's a skill that we can learn. I mean, what if we actually knew how to handle conflict? What if you actually knew how to handle the conflict that is currently in your life or the conflict that's going to come up soon better? I'm not saying that you get a master's degree in it or that you, know, you never have conflict, and that's not my point. It's not that you will never have conflict, but what if when conflict comes, you really know, okay, it's going to come, but I know how to handle it. When marriage conflict comes, it's okay. I know how to handle it. When conflict with my kids comes, it's okay. I know how to handle it. When conflict happens in my friendship, okay, I know how to handle it. Like, what if you actually knew how to handle conflict? I, I wish I could preach to you and tell you how to get rid of all conflict in your life, but I don't think that's possible. But I, but I do think it's possible to say, what if we grew in the skills of being able to actually handle conflict better? And maybe this might even be easier for you to think of. What if the person next to you knew how to con- handle conflict better? Like, sometimes for us, it's like, well, I, I got it. Okay, well, great. Well, what if the person next to you knew how to handle conflict better? What if they just knew how to do it better? See, what if we could actually do it? There's, there's things that we can learn. There's things that we can put into place in our life, which will then do this. It'll give us a deeper confidence when conflict comes. It won't make it so overwhelming. It won't make it so burdensome. It won't get rid of it, but we'll have a deeper peace, and our relationships will be healthier, and our relationships will be deeper. So this is what we're talking about today. And to begin with, I want to just answer this question, which is why must we learn to handle conflict? Because we know, and you know, I mean, even as I'm talking, you know that you have conflict, right? You, you know that. That's nothing new to you. You know that you've got small little tiffs that come up and big things that come up from time to time. You know that, but we don't always think, man, I really got to get a handle on this. I really need to learn this. We don't necessarily think that. We kind of go, okay, I can either avoid it or maybe I just kind of go with my gut and in the moment kind of deal with it, how I deal with it. But most of our dealing with it is wrong. Most of the way we deal with it isn't healthy. So why must we actually learn to handle it? And here's why. You and I, we want healthy relationships, right? I mean, you want healthy relationships. We got to learn to handle conflict because we want relationships of love. We want healthy relationships where we love people and they love us. Why must you learn to handle conflict? Because, man, with your spouse, you want a healthy relationship. And it's going to happen. Because you want to be a good parent. You want to be a good mom, a good dad. And and you want to be able to handle the conflict you have with your kids and not let that destroy your relationship with them. Like maybe happened even with you and, and your parents. You, we, we must learn how to handle conflict because we want friendships that aren't, whenever there's kind of a sign of turmoil, they're, they're over. We want healthy relationships. We want loving relationships. But what do you think of when you think of loving relationships? What do you think of when you think of a loving community? What, what comes to your mind if you were to just say, okay, I want to be a part of a loving community. I want to I have a loving marriage, or I want to have a loving family, or I want to have loving friendships. I want to have healthy relate. What comes to your mind when you think about a loving community? If you were to Google image, here's some of the top things that come up on Google images. This one, you know, is just kind of a silly photo, but still represents a little bit of, man, we're connected, right? Our hearts are big, and we care about each other. Here's another one that comes up. This is just typing in loving community into Google images. This is this kind of looks like it's at a church, which would be kind of funny if, um, you know, you were here today and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. I was visiting a church on, and I was on Google and there we go. Um, but when I look at this, I don't know what you think. I mean, it, it kind of just seems like support or care or there's that touch of just, hey, yeah, you know, maybe it's a funny joke. I don't know what it is, but it's just like, hey, I'm, I'm there for you. You think about that when you think about loving community or this is kind of a silly stock photo, but it's kind of all these different, you know, jobs you can see by their arms um, and just kind of representing, hey, we're, we're in this together, right? And there's this cooperation and this collaboration. We think about a loving community. And again, whether you think about this in your marriage or your friendships, these are some of the things that we go, man, I want healthy relationships. I want a loving community. This also comes up, which is, you know, stock friends, just classic stock friend party. This is what's always happening with stock friends. <laughs> there's, there's no party like a stock friend party. And this is them. Um, and you might think about that when you think about loving community. Just a bunch of people kind of having fun together and, and happiness and joy. Uh, also on loving community, this came up, which 
I don't know if there's like a karaoke place called Loving Community Karaoke or something, but this came up. Uh, maybe you think about that. Maybe you think about karaoke. I always try to get my friends to do karaoke, and no one ever does it with me. And I know why now. They're, they don't love me. Um, but this... This is, maybe you think about that, right? Just kind of fun and kind of energy. And man, this is, this is what a loving community is. Um, uh, this is the final one. This came up to just this quote, surround yourself with a loving community. Okay, so all of that stuff, if you think about a loving community, if you think about healthy relationships, that's some of the stuff that we want. We want to be surrounded by, and I, I put that quote on there just because I thought it was, it's just a good picture of what we want, right? We want to be surrounded by people that are supporting us, that are having fun with us, that are caring for us, that are singing to us, that are, that are loving us. That's what we think of most often when we think about loving community, some sort of qualities, some kind of qualities, support and care and encouragement and appreciation and serving and whatever it might be. We, we think of these qualities in a community. But here's what that means. If you break those qualities, if you break those rules, if you're not supportive, if you're not caring, if you're not having fun, if you're not there for the person, if you break those qualities, then you're out. You see, one of the reasons that we need to learn how to handle conflict is because we want loving community. We want loving relationships. We want healthy community. But when we think about healthy community, we think about all of those things. We think about all of this kind of love and qualities. But what happens is somebody's going to break those rules. Or we're going to break those rules. And then what happens is you're out. And I don't mean somebody says, hey, get out of here. But what I mean is how do we respond when someone breaks the rules of what a loving community is? We might just say, okay, I'm kind of done. This is kind of giving the cold shoulder or avoiding conflict or just kind of walking away. Say, okay, I don't, I don't really want to be a part of this anymore because I thought this was a loving community, but people have hurt me, so I'm out. I thought this was a loving marriage, but you've hurt me, so I'm out. I thought this was a loving uh, relationship, but in this conversation, man, I can tell that you're not really caring for me. I thought you loved me, but you're not really, so, so I'm out. And we just kind of walk away, sometimes without even saying anything. Or we might stay in the relationship, but bitterness just grows. Bitterness grows because we want a loving community and someone's breaking the rules against us of what love is supposed to be. So bitterness grows. We just feel this resentment of, I thought you were supposed to be my friend. I thought you were supposed to be there for me. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were, I thought this. And bitterness grows in our hearts. Or we exit the relationship not by necessarily, again, walking away, but by telling other people about what they've done. Man, I thought this was a loving community. I thought they were a loving person, but let me tell you what they've done. Let me tell you how they've treated me. Let me tell you the things that they said about me. Or maybe we even just kind of get more, a little more aggressive. A lot of times you don't do this with people you don't know very well, but especially maybe in a marriage relationship or even with your kids, it can get kind of heated. And you say, man, I thought you were going to do this and you're not doing this. I thought you committed to this. I thought you promised this. I thought you said, and we can get aggressive and mean and attack people and say things that are hurtful and harmful. See, this is what happens. Maybe even for some of you, you maybe this is kind of one of your first kind of comebacks to church. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, and maybe this is some of the reason why. Maybe this even happened to you. You experienced this at a church community, and so you said, I thought this was supposed to be a place of love, and, and that's not, this isn't love. And so maybe after a lot of years, you're kind of checking it out again. You're giving it a shot, but this might even be what made you leave in the first place. But here's what's important to understand. We need to learn how to handle conflict because we want a loving community, but do you know what a loving community is? A loving community is not most seen when things are going well. A loving community is not most seen when someone has their hand on their shoulder and they're, uh, you know, supporting you. A loving community is not most seen when everyone's kind of having fun together and taking a big photo at the park together. A loving community is not most seen when people are encouraging you and appreciating you and there for you and serving you. That's not most when a loving community community or a loving marriage or a loving uh, family is actually seen. A loving community is most seen when things are going bad, not when things are going good. A loving community is most seen 
in how you actually deal with the conflict, with the stuff that is difficult. Here, here's how Peter says this. Look what he says. He says, above all, keep loving one another. So love is so important. But then look at the very next thing he says. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. But do you see what that means? That means that there is going to be a multitude of sins against you. A multitude. That people are going to betray you. That people are going to leave you out. That people are going to be mean to you. That people are going to slight you, slander about you, gossip about you. That people are going to not be there for you, maybe even when you most need them. That there's going to be a multitude of sins coming at you. And you know when love is most seen? Love is most seen, not in the times that everything is going well, but he says, keep loving one another earnestly. And here's where that's displayed. Love covers a multitude of sins. Or here's how, here's how John says it about Jesus. He says, in this is love. You want to know what love is? In this is love. Not that we have loved God. So our, the love is not seen in how much we love God and how, how great we think of God and how much we do for God. And it's not that we've loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, here's what this is saying. You want to see the love of God the most? Don't look at the times that God is there for you in suffering. You want to see the love of God the most? Don't look at the times that you feel God encouraging you and speaking you know, um, help to you in something you're dealing with. You want to see the love of God the most? Don't think about times that, that you're just feeling joyful and, man, God's presence felt so real. He says, this is love. We're people that don't love God. We're people that are sinful. We're people that have turned our back on God. We're people that have rejected God. We're people that have dismissed God. We're people that have ignored God. And you know what God did? God came to us. And the word propitiation is this, he became a substitute and a sacrifice for our sins. See, God's love was most shown for us, not in the good times. God's love is most shown to us. This is love, he says, that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, God's love is most shown, not in the good times, but in the bad times. God's love is most shown in covering a multitude of sins. And then he says, if God lo so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, this is what's supposed to define our love. This is what's supposed to define a loving community. See, when you think about, I want to be a part of a community that loves me. Or when you think about, I want to have a spouse that loves me. I want to have a loving marriage. We think about the good stuff. We think about the good stuff. But what the Bible says is, you know what real love is? You know what real love is? True love. True love is a love that is actually wronged and sinned against, but forgives. True love is most seen when stuff is really hard. That's why even in a marriage ceremony, people give each other vows and they say, for better or worse. Nobody would go so inspiring if they said, for better and richer. And when you're healthy, I will love you. No one would say, wow, that's noble, you know. Look at that love. But love is when you say, look, I will be there in the good times. And I'll be there in the bad times. I'll be there when you are healthy and when you are sick. I'll be there when you are encouraging me and when you are mean to me. I'll be there when you are loving me in the ways that I go, oh, that's what love is. And when you're sinning against me, when you're hurting me. See, that's what John says, that's the love of God. And that is the love we're called to have for each other. And if that's at the core of a community, if that's at the core of a marriage, if that's at the core of your family, that makes things a lot different. That makes things a lot different. Here, look, people are going to hurt us. People are going to hurt you. The closest people to you are probably going to hurt you the most. But people are going to hurt us and we are going to hurt other people. People are going to hurt us, and we are going to hurt other people in a variety, in a multitude of different ways. But the reason that we must learn to handle conflict is because the Bible says that loving community 
is most seen, that what you want, a relationship of love, a community of love, what you want is going to be most seen when the times are difficult. This is why the Bible over and over and over and over again says that we must fight for peace. You know, in every epistle, which is every letter kind of written to the churches that's in the New Testament, in every single one of those letters, something is mentioned about fighting for peace, about making peace. You know what that says? It assumes that people are going to have conflict. It assumes that there's going to be drama. It assumes that people are going to be sinning against you. And yet that God wants us to fight for peace. Let me, let me give you a few examples. Hebrews says this, strive for peace with everyone. Just think about these. If, is this my heart? Is this the kind of community I want to be a part of? A part of a marriage, a part of a family, a part of a community where it's not just love and all the good things, but where I have to strive for peace, which means currently there's conflict. Strive for peace. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Let's pursue it. Let's strive for it. Paul, Paul says this in Corinthians. He says, I appeal to you. And look at the strong language, striving, pursuing. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of Jesus, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. doesn't want there to be hostility and divisions and people divided, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. So he says, look, there's arguing, there's fighting, there's, there's disagreement, and I appeal to you to fight for peace, to fight for unity. Or in Ephesians, he says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, over and over and over again. And finally, this one, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. Let it rule in your heart. See, God wants us to fight for peace because God wants us to have loving relationships. And you and I want to have loving relationships and healthy relationships. But loving Relationships, loving community, a loving marriage, a loving family is not most going to be seen when everything is awesome. It's most going to be seen when people are sinning against you and you are sinning against other people and you say, yet, I love them. So I fight for peace. You know what this means? This means God wants you to be able to be a part of a community. God wants you to be able to be a part of a community where you can sin against somebody and you still belong. Where you can hurt somebody and you don't have to be rejected. See, because what we often think is, this is a loving community. And if people break the rules, ah, that's not a loving community. But a loving community, a loving community is one where people do sin against each other. A loving marriage is going to be one in which there is conflict. And yet you say, I'm going to fight for peace. I'm going to fight to forgive. I'm going to fight to give grace. I'm going to fight to maintain unity. This is why it's so important. It's on God's heart, and it's, and it's good news. It's a community where we can fail and still belong. So then how can, we handle, how can we handle it better? This is what God desires for us to experience. It's what we really do want to experience is relationships of love. But how can we handle it better? Because it's hard. Conflict is hard. And for you, maybe it's even... It's, it might just be devastating in your life, right? I don't, I don't want to just kind of brush over it and, and say, yeah, conflict's hard. Like maybe for you, you've got conflict in your life. That, I mean, I, I know people I talked to this week that it's, man, it, this is crushing me. So like conflict is really hard and it, and it might not just be hard in the normal way of hard for you. It might be crushing and devastating and you might be losing sleep and it, it might, you might be developing ulcers. I mean, it could be really, really hard. And so I, I want us to think about four different movements that help us. And really, this is really practical. This is the process for handling conflict. And, and a lot of this, um, I have learned and kind of adapted some of this from a book um, in a ministry called Peacemakers. And so if you even want to dig into this more, I would just encourage you to do that. But, but here, here, here we go. Here's the four movements that we need. First is we start with God. We start with God. And maybe that sounds 
kind of normal and of course and we're supposed to say that, but that's not where we usually start, right? I mean, whatever conflict you think about, whatever conflict you even have, is your normal go-to to start with God? A lot of times we start with ourselves and what we're feeling and what the person has done to us and how it's making us feel and we might start with them and what they've done to us and we think about, but we often don't start with God. In the book of James, he has a long passage talking about conflict and he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And he, he talks a lot about kind of the conflict and the different things, but here's where he starts with the solutions. Here's where he says, okay, here's what you actually need to do. And then most of the instructions he gives are about our relationship to God. Look at this. This is in 7 through 10. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. See, what conflict are you going through right now? What if you start with this? Submit yourselves to God. Draw near to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord. James fills up this passage as he talks about conflict and what people are doing to one another and how they're fighting against one another. And he fills it up with, here's, here's the resolution. It's all us and God. Submit to God. Draw near to God. Humble ourselves before God. So what if that was actually the posture that we took? I don't know the conflict you have right now, but think about this. What would this have changed if you started there? I don't know what conflict you had this last week, but what would have changed if before you made the comment, before you sent the email, before you talked to the other person about the person, what if you would have started here and said to God, God, I submit to you, which means, God, I, I want to please you in this situation. It means, God, I don't, I don't know, I, I know you're wise, and I want to please you in this situation. I want to obey you in this situation. To draw near to God can, can mean just that we say, God, I need help with this. God, this is a rough situation, and the things that they've said about me are not true, and the ways that they've hurt me, man, it, it's, it's, it's hard, God. I need you. What if we drew near to God? What if those problems in your marriage or even with your kids or with, with your coworkers, you said, God, I need you. Before I do anything, before I say anything, before I think through this anymore, I want to please you. I want to obey you. And God, I need you. And to even humble ourselves before God, which is to say, God, I know I don't have it all figured out. I know I don't know all that I should do. I, I know that, God, I, even to humble ourselves is to say, God, I know I'm a sinner too. I know I wrestle with things. God, I need you. What if that was where we started with conflict? What if where we started with conflict was with God? You, you know what would happen? And so, so many things would happen. It would make us wiser. We would be able to see a little more clearly. It would make us more loving towards the other person. It also does this. It makes it so the results don't matter as much. See, because a lot of times in conflict we say, well, if I do this, they're not going to change anyway. Or if I say this, they're going to say this. Or if I try this, they're just going to get up. And we have all these different predictions mapped out. And so we say, so I'm not going to even do it. But what if our approach was, I'm engaging in this with this person. I'm going to talk with this person. I'm going to forgive this person. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to speak to this person. Not because of the results, but because I'm submitting to God. Because I want to honor God. Because I want to please God. You know what would happen is the results don't matter as much. And you know what else would happen? It means we can overlook a lot. It means that before conflict even gets started, we can overlook so much. Proverbs says it's, it's, it's to somebody's glory, to somebody's honor, if they overlook an offense. You see, if we started with this, we would be able to overlook so much stuff. If we started with, God, I'm, I want to please you. God, I need you. God, I, I'm, I'm humbling myself before you. So many things that people have done to you, so many slights, so many uh, even just sins, that you would just be able to say, I can overlook that. And I'm not saying overlook of you sweep it under the rug, but really you're harboring bitterness. I'm saying you say, man, okay, yeah, God's been patient with me. I can be patient with him. 
God's overlooked so much of what I've done. I can overlook this with them. I don't have to walk around with a clipboard of every offense that somebody's done to me and go, oh, there you go again. That's category three. And, and just kind of, you, you don't have to do that. We can overlook so much. See, if we start with this, coming to God, drawing near to God, submitting to God, humbling ourselves before God, it means so much we just say, I don't even need to, like it's just done right there. It doesn't even have to be brought up. And our hearts actually release it because we are receiving from him. Second movement is this. We focus on ourselves. So we begin with God, but then we look at ourselves. And again, normally in conflict, our focus is on the other person. Normally in conflict, our focus is on the other people and what they've done to us. And we usually maximize what they've done, right? Well, they did this, and they always do this, and they never do this, and it's huge. And we minimize what we've done. We maximize theirs, and we minimize ours, and we usually start with the other person. But do you know what Jesus says? Jesus says this. He says we need to, whenever there's a conflict, whenever there's some sin that you feel like someone has done against you, you need to start with yourself. Here's how he says it. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, what Jesus says is we have to start with what's going on inside of us. And, it, and it's really kind of this humorous picture, and it's hard to kind of get at what, you know, just this image. But here's what, here's what Jesus is saying, is you, you could have a, a log or a plank, other translations say, in your eye. And look how ridiculous that is. If this person came to you and said, hey, there's a little, it looks like you got something on your eyelash. Like you would go, whoa, first of all, watch out. I mean, that, it's silly, right? And Jesus is trying to be humorous because he says, look, if you've got a giant log in your eye, how can you assume to, to walk to somebody and say, let me help you get something out of your eye? Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. And, and you look ridiculous. And the people around you can see it and notice it. This is what it's like. See, Jesus says, if we want to engage in conflict in a healthy way, that we've got to start with what's in our own eyes, what's in our own hearts. We have to start with ourselves. See, because without this, the image of a log in your eye, without this, it means we're blind. You can't, Jesus says, you can't see clearly. You can't see what's really going on with someone else when you've got a log in your eye. You can't, you, we are blind. If you want to engage in conflict with somebody else, you are blind until you get the log out of your eye. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's no way that you can think about helping someone else. There's no way you can think about confronting someone else. There's no way you can think about presenting someone's issues to them until you first can see clearly, think clearly, feel clearly. But when our sin is still there, we can't do that. We can't do that. So when Jesus says to get the log out of our eye, what, what does that mean? What does that actually look like? What, what are logs? What are the logs that are in our eyes? Well, they're the, they're the sins that we have brought to the relationship, which might be our oversensitivity to other people. See, sometimes there's a conflict because we are overly sensitive to things. And that's the log. We can't see clearly because all we can see is our hurt. All we can see is what someone has done to us. And we're overly sensitive to things. Or it might be the things that we've actually contributed, the things that we've done or not done. I, I can just tell you, man, so many times in my marriage in particular, but other relationships as well, if I start with, here's what you've done, man, where, where, does, you, where does that go? That hardly ever goes anywhere good. But most of the time, I mean, I, I, don't, have, I, I don't have a chart. That I'm, gonna that I'm willing to share with you. But every time that I, I don't, I don't have one, but every, but every time that I, pretty much every time that I've started with, hey, babe, first let me just say this. It, I mean, everything changes. Everything changes. 
if we start with a posture that says, look, can, let me just start with here's what I want to own in the situation. And look, maybe, I mean, this is just real, right? Maybe, maybe somebody contributed more than you did, right? Maybe they're more at fault than you. Okay. But you're 100% at fault for what you're at fault for. And there's hardly ever any conflict where you are completely 100% innocent. We think that, which is why Jesus gives us this picture and says, you're approaching someone to get a speck out of their eye, but a log is shooting out of your eye, and that's going to end up whacking the other person. See, if we start with, look, there's some things, maybe I've been overly sensitive to you. And maybe I contributed some things to you. I did some things in this. I was mean to you. I was impatient with you. If you start there, Jesus is so wise, like the wisdom of this. Just try it out. Even if you say, hey, I'm not a Christian, and I think Jesus is a joke. Even if you believe that, just try this this week and see what happens. Just say, okay, I'm going to start with the log. And just, even if you don't even believe it, just be like, hey, I was impatient. And someone's going to go, oh, man, thanks for saying that. Everything's going to change. Hey, yeah, you know what? I have been a little lazy. Go to say to your boss, I've been a little lazy with work. He's going to go, whoa. And everything's going to change. I mean, if you just own your own stuff first, it changes everything. Jesus is a genius on, on this. I mean, really, it just practically makes, makes so much change. And, and so here's what this means. We, to, to take the log out of our eye means we have to a lot of times ask God to show us what that is. Because sometimes we don't even know what it is. You know, we, we need to ask God, God, would you just open my heart and let me see? Would you let me see? Like, whatever conflict you have, what if you prayed and said, God, would you just let me see what, what is my part in this? God, I really want, I want to know what's my part in this. If we come to God and ask him to show us that, and then we go to the other person and confess to them. And we say, here's what I did. And you name it. Not generically, not, hey, there might have been some things that maybe kind of possibly happened, but you say, hey, I did this. I did this. And, and, you, and you own the heart of it, too. Say, I did this because, you know, I was, I was really angry and, you know, I was really wanting you to approve of me and, and I didn't feel like you were. And so I kind of lashed out against you. And, and then you even say, hey, I'm going to work on this. You offer, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this. I'm going to change this. And then you even say, Will you forgive me? Like, I can tell you this, for those of you that are parents and kind of have kids that are a little older, it, this, is, this is what you do to your kids. Like, if you go to your kids and, and, and you're having some fight with your kids and you go to them and you say, before you even correct them, you just say, hey, you know what? I was, I was, I was a little rude to you. And even that's kind of soft peddling. I was rude to you in my words. I was rude to you in my words because I, I kind of, I, I was impatient because I'm trying to get some things done. And I was rude to you. And it wasn't very kind. I'm, I'm going to try to do better on that. Will you forgive me? That changes everything. You do that to your spouse. You do that to your friends. If that's, that's getting the log out of your eye. That's saying, I'm owning the stuff that I have before I'm even trying at all to ask you to own the things that you have. Think about what would happen if you did that. So often, so often, especially for conflicts that you might have that are repeating. So you might go through the same conflicts over and over again or a conflict that you've had that has just gone on for a long time. So often we feel like this. I've tried everything. I've talked to them. I've tried it all. I've tried, but you know what we mean? I've tried to tell them what they need to fix so many times. I've tried to confess their sins to them. I've tried. I've tried to get the, the speck out of their eye. And they keep moving. It's not, I don't know why. That's what we mean. What we don't mean, I've tried so many times to confess my sin to them and own my log. We don't mean that, right? Like think about the conflict that you have where you keep going through the same stuff. Think about even if there's a relationship where it's, man, there's kind of a breach in relationship. And if you feel, I've tried. You don't mean I've tried to come to them and own my sin and ask them to forgive me. Right? This is what Jesus says that we, we start before we ever go to the other person. So we begin with God. We begin with God. And then we begin with 
and we move to ourselves. And oftentimes, look, when you think about conflict that you have, oftentimes we don't do these first two things. I'm going to give you four things, and oftentimes we don't do 50% of it. We start with them. We start with, and if we miss 50% of what God says, here is how you handle conflict. I mean, is it any wonder that our conflicts are so hard for us? So third, though, is we move to them, which is what Jesus says, to help them see, to talk with them about what might be there in their eye. After we've gotten the log out, after maybe we've even overlooked it and never even had to have the conversation in the first place. And a lot of times, if you do these things, you don't even need to have this conversation, either because it can be done or because they actually say to you, hey, thanks for, thanks for owning that. I do forgive you. And you know what? That makes me think about some things I've done to you too. And a lot of times you don't even have to talk with them. But if you do, here's the guidance that Jesus gives to us. He says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. See, this is the third part of the process, that if we've got some conflict with somebody, if we've got an issue with somebody, Jesus says, here's what you do. You go and tell him and him alone. This is so important. So I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, that people have talked with me and said, hey, I've got this issue with so-and-so, or they've done, and I always ask, have you gone between you and him alone, or her alone? And almost always, the answer is no. It is no wonder our relationships are so broken. It's no wonder that our relationships, we, we really just can't handle conflict because we're not following the process that Jesus gives to us. I mean, you look, let me say it another way. Isn't this what you want? Isn't that what you want? I mean, when you hear the words of Jesus here, isn't that what you want someone to do to you? When you hear the words of Jesus here, isn't what you want is a friend if there's conflict for them to go to you and you alone? and say, hey, I want to talk with you. Isn't that what you want, even from your spouse, before they start posting things on Facebook or saying things to their friends? And I mean, don't you want them to say, hey, between you and them alone, hey, I want to talk to you about something. And yet so often, that's not what we actually do. He says, we go to the other person between them and them alone. And it, I mean, it's even emphasized you know, between you and him alone, not between you and him and two other people, between you and him alone. And why? I love this part, too, because what's the heart of it? The heart isn't to point out their fault. Jesus says, if they go, go tell the fault. But why? It's to win your brother. It's to gain the relationship. He says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You've won the relationship back. See, think about this. When you go to correct somebody or when you go to bring someone's issue to them, is that your heart? When you bring something up with your spouse, when you bring something up with a friend, when you bring something up even with a parent or with your kids, is it because you say, I want our relationship. I want to win them. I want their joy. I want us to be good. Or is it to confront them and let them know what they've done to you? See, so often when we even do the step of going to somebody, the reason we do it is to tell them their fault, period, the end. Not, I want to gain my brother back. I want to gain my spouse back. I want to gain the relationship. I want us to be at peace again. I want joy. I want harmony. It's, I want them to know what they did to me. And you know why that's where we start? Because we don't start with submitting to God and drawing near to him. And we don't start with looking at our own log so we can only see their offense. We can't even see us. And so when we even do go to people, the way that we confront is, look what you've done to me. And that's aggressive. Maybe it's more passive aggressive. Maybe it's like, well, I really wish you would do this for me. But that's the way we confront. Instead of, I really want this relationship restored again. I want joy for the other person. I want joy for us together. See, this is what Jesus says, and, and Jesus even goes further than this when he's talking about the movement to the other person. Jesus also says it's not just if, if your brother has sinned against you, 
He also says this, if you're offering your gift at the altar, he's imagining kind of like a synagogue church situation. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Look what he says. If you remember that your brother has something against you, So it's not even just if you know that they've sinned against you, but if you think, I think they have something against me. See, so often we go, it's not my issue. They need to come talk to me about it. That's on them. If they want to deal with it, they can deal with it. And Jesus says, no. If you remember somebody doesn't like me, somebody has conflict with me, somebody has an issue with me, somebody has something, very broad, something against me, He says, in that moment, immediately, immediately go and talk with them. Immediately go and talk with them. Don't wait till things kind of settle down. Don't wait till, you know, it's a little, it's kind of the temperature's cooled down. No, immediately. There's this sense of urgency. You're you're walking up to like give your offering and and all of a sudden you're like, oh, here comes my offering. Oh, Oh, crap. He says, put it down and go. Don't even finish what you're doing. Just go. Why? why? Why if somebody sins against us, or even if we know that somebody thinks we sinned against them? Because the heart, the heart is, the heart is this reconciliation again, this restoring of relationship. It's not just to tell people what they've done wrong. Because listen, isn't this Jesus' heart towards you? Isn't that Jesus' heart towards you? Don't, don't you know that in the middle of our sin, God's heart towards us is not just that he wants to tell us everything we've done wrong, but he wants, he wants to win his brother. He wants to win the relationship. Why does God ever convict you of your sin? Why does God ever say, hey, look, there's something here that I want you to change. There's something here I want you to work on. Why does God ever do that? It's not because he just wants to point out our fault. It's because he wants to win back the relationship. So we experience the joy of of being at peace with him again. And Jesus is the one that pursues us, even when it's not him that has something against us, but he knows that we are against him. He says, well, let me go after you. Let me pursue you. Jesus always takes the first step towards us. And so what he tells us is, first we begin with God. Then we move to ourselves, and then we approach the other person. And by this point, with this heart, when we approach the other person, it's with grace. Because it's not to try to get something, it's to try to give something, a restored relationship. And it's, and it's with, it's with a, a non-judgmental attitude of charity where we're assuming the best because we've already remembered what God has done for us. We've already remembered our own sin and his forgiveness. We've already been through all of that. So by the time we come to the other person, we're there with grace. We're there with gentleness. Even, you know, think about if you've ever had to get something out of somebody's eye. You don't go, let me get that out of your eye, right? It's a gentle process. It's, hey, look, you got something in your eye and let me kind of lean in there, right? And Jesus says, when you go to somebody else, as you've already removed it, you've got grace, you've got gentleness, you're remembering your own sin, and so you're not so harsh with them on their sin, you're listening to what they say, you're not just rushing to assumptions of, well, you did this, because there's, it just has changed everything. There's a great little kind of formula that I saw a man named Ray Ortland uh, post on his blog that I thought was really helpful, and he says, if a problem must be addressed, Let's avoid blanket statements, but identify factual specifics, offer a positive path forward, and preserve everyone's dignity. Don't do this. You are blank. It's too sweeping to be fair. If you just say, you are, um, you know, you are lazy, or you are uh, always uh, leaving me out, or you are a jerk, or you are, if if you do that, it makes it too sweeping to be fair, and it leaves a person no freedom to change. Because you're just telling them, this is what you are. It's better to say, in this situation, that's specific. When you did this, that's specific. That was wrong. 
that hurt me. It would be helpful, now you're giving solutions, if in the future you would blank, kind of given a way forward. What do you think? What do you think? You see, that's, that's a humble posture. Because maybe the person says, well, I, I, don't, I, you know, I don't totally see it that way. Or, but to say, what do you think? And is there anything I can do that might help that? This changes. Is this the way we normally confront people when we do? Is this the way we normally approach people? This is gentle getting something out of somebody's eye. This is not, you wronged me and you're a jerk and you're never there for me and you're lazy and you never help and you, that's, that's none of that. This is a very different approach that's filled with humility and filled with grace because we've started with God, then we've looked at our own logs and then we've talked with them. And then finally, we think about us the relationship together. We think about what does it look like to move forward together. And a lot of times, a lot of times, somebody might kind of bring something to you, and and maybe you even say, hey, I'm sorry about that, and and it kind of ends with a fizzle. It just kind of fizzles out. So somebody comes to you, and they they might approach you about something, or you go to them, and it just kind of fizzles with, hey, I'm sorry, and the other person says, hey, it's okay. Right? A lot of our kind of reconciliation looks like, I'm sorry, hey, it's okay. I'm sorry, no big deal. I'm sorry, hey man, we're, none of us are perfect. And it ends with that. Instead of really from the heart saying, yeah, what you did was wrong. And I forgive you. What you did was wrong. What you did did hurt me. What you did was sinful. What you did did cause damaging effects, and I forgive you. See, if there's not that actual transaction, a lot of times stuff lingers. We say we've dealt with it, but we really haven't. My wife and I have a rule that um, there's, no, there's no real forgiveness unless there's been a kiss. Because it's really hard to kiss somebody unless your heart is, and, and I'm saying this is be, uh, between my wife and I, right? Like this isn't... <laughs> If, if we ever have issues, you know, it's not going to end with a, okay, you know, I'm not, <laughs> maybe a handshake, you know. But, <laughs> but it's like, I know that you don't really forgive me and you know I don't really forgive you if it's like, okay, yeah, I forgive you. Like that, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is actually being able to say, hey, we're good now. And yeah, I'm actually agreeing that what you did was bad, but I'm making a choice to say, I forgive you. This is how Paul says it. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Don't have it anymore, along with all malice. Get rid of all of that stuff in your relationships. And here's how. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. A tender heart. That's a soft heart that comes from focusing on God and getting the log out of our eye. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, this says we need to think about how God has forgiven us. We need to think about how God has forgiven us. That allows us to forgive the other person. If you think about the distance, if you think about the distance between you and the other person, so they wrong, so if if you're like this and they've wronged you and it's like this, and that's how bad they are, that's what they've if you think about that distance compared to the distance between us and God. And how, how much further we are from him and how much we've wronged him and how much we've sinned against him and how he's perfect and he hasn't contributed anything. And we go, but he forgave me. And he forgave me with a tender heart. And he forgave me with kindness. And he forgives me over and over and over and over again. And he forgives me to win me over back to himself. If we think about that, That shapes our forgiveness of the other person. Anytime that I'm struggling to forgive somebody, I ask God, God, help me to remember again how you've forgiven me. Help me to remember again how you have forgiven me. How and my mind might fill with, yeah, but they did this and they and and I did that to you. And you forgave me. I'm so thankful that the way God treats me. The way God treats me when I sin against him is with patience and tenderness and love and forgiveness. 
And yet so often that's not our posture towards others, which is why he says, remember how God's forgiven you. Remember how he's forgiven you. And this is what this forgiveness looks like. It's, it's these four promises. Forgiveness says, I won't dwell on this incident anymore. I'm not going to say I forgive you and yet have bitterness. I'm not going to keep replaying it and thinking about it. I won't bring this up and use it against you. So the next day I'm not going to say, yeah, but don't you remember when you did this? No, I've forgiven you. I'm not going to talk to others about this. I forgive you. Now I've got a text to send, you know. It says, I know I'm not, I'm forgiving. The offense is gone. And I allow, and I'm not going to allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our relationship. Look again, that's how God forgives us. Aren't you, God, aren't you glad God's not dwelling on the sins that you've done? Aren't you glad that God doesn't bring up again to you? Satan does this, the Bible says. One of the, what Satan means is the accuser. Satan brings up what you've done and uses it against you. God doesn't do that. Aren't you thankful in God's forgiveness? He says, it's gone. Aren't you thankful in God's forgiveness that he's not gossiping about you or allowing what you did to stand between the relationship? So we start with us. We start with God, excuse me. We then move to us. We then go to the other person, and then we focus on our relationship. And what happens when we do this? What happens? Where's there conflict in your life? What would happen if you did this? Don't, I mean, can't you just imagine this going better than how we often deal with it? Whether it's a big thing or a small thing. What happens is conflict doesn't go away, but we can handle it differently. What happens is that you're still going to have conflict a lot. You're still going to have it come up with all of your different relationships, but you're going to have peace and you're going to have deeper relationships because love is going to be seen not just in the good times, but when things are hard. And you're not going to pull away when things get bad, but you actually say this is an opportunity for us to go deeper with each other. So let me just end by asking you this. What is the conflict in your life right now that you need to walk through these steps? What's the conflict in your life right now where you need to say, okay, God, I'm going to draw near to you. God, I'm going to submit to you. God, I'm going to humble myself before you. I, I want to ask you. I know. I know because I just know humanity and I know my own heart, that there's conflict. Maybe you even have conflict with someone else in this room. I know that for those of you who are married, conflict fills your week. And I'm not saying you're always at each other's throat, but just little things here and there. Conflict is always happening. I know that that's true. And I want to ask you to say, what if, we, what if we become a community of love like this? Not a community of love where everything's perfect, but a community of love that says a love covers a multitude of sins. Would you commit to this? And, and maybe even if there's a relationship that you have not done this with, can you just even think about that name in your head and say, I need to start this. I need to start this. I need to start with God. Think about my log. Then talk with them if that's even necessary. And then work on forgiveness. And when we come and take communion, we have an opportunity again to remember how this is exactly what Jesus did for us. That his body was broken and his blood was shed. Why? To bring peace to us. To bring what, what, what John said, the propitiation of our sins, the forgiveness, the, the being the sacrifice for us. That there was conflict and Jesus said, I will deal with it by covering it. I will deal with it by seeking peace with you, by forgiving you, by not holding it against you, by winning back the relationship with you. So even as we take communion, let's celebrate that this is how Jesus has been to us, which allows us to be this way with the relationships in our life. Father, would you help us, even now, to have this go deeper into our hearts? God, I pray that you would help us to have a community of love like this, not a community of love just where things are going well, but a community of love in grace and forgiveness and peace pursuing. Thank you, God, that you don't hold our sins against us, that we can remember that even now, that your blood and your body, broken for us, showed how much you wanted peace with us.
showed how much you were willing to remove the sin from us so that relationship could be restored. God, I pray that you would help us in this. Help us with whatever conflicts that we might have right now. God, don't let us get out of this space or even this room without, even in a small way right now, drawing near to you and doing step one and saying, God, we need you. So I pray, God, let, let, this, let, let even from here there be peace that flows. Let some relationships be restored and reconciled and healed. I pray that you would do that for us. We need you.